Jonathan, this was another fun and definitely a light way to start off our fourth season of Now We Know. It's crazy. I know. I know. <laughs> um, so those who have stuck with us since our inception, thank you. And welcome back to our first episode of 2024. Right. Happy New Year. Yeah. Happy New Year. I don't know that I can convey like how exciting it is for us to not only learn, but um, enjoy what and how we learn for each topic of now we know. And the preparation of um, this episode felt similar to my excitement and um, joy that I felt after doing the Afro Latinos um, or watching mm-hmm. the Afro Latinos documentary. And um, so, yeah, I'm just kind of like in that space. What about you? I think the same. And also we chose a fun topic to start the year off, which is just ideal. But also we chose a topic that has a wonderful accompanying documentary. And I think that's the case for when we when we learn about uh, Afro-Latinos, it's like the presentation of the information is so important for how yeah. we connect to it. And Hitsville, the making of Motown is a fantastic documentary. I highly recommend people go watch it. Um, I don't even know if documentary is actually the right word. It feels like a, like a celebration and honoring yeah. of, you know, it was like, this is so important. Um, mm-hmm. It was, it was like really nice. Of a- a documentary and a uh, like a campfire uh, chat like we uh, when we were doing the black cowboys is kind of like that together mm-hmm. um and yeah. personal stories so it's like a it's a conglomerate of <laughs> of uh, recordings together, yeah so yeah. It's funny, like Motown conversations about Motown suddenly became uncles talking on a porch type thing. And that felt mm-hmm. really comforting. It was really yeah. well done. So, yeah. yeah, I love their banter. And um, anyway, so before we get too far and uh, people are probably, you know, they're not going to be familiar with uh, what we what we watched. Um, but again, it was called Hitsville, the making of Motown. Um, of course, we'll post it in the show notes. Um, you have to be you have to recognize Motown. If we have to explain Motown, it's fine. We're going to do it. But I'm just saying, if you're listening to Now We Know, I would hope you already know about Motown um, or recognize the name at least. Um, We we certainly learned a a bit about its history and um, things like that. So Barry Gordy was born in 1929. Um, He's, uh, well, really, he's Barry Gordy Jr. And he was a seventh of Barry Gordy Sr. and Bertha Fuller Gordy's eight children. Um, He tried many careers in boxing, uh, record store ownership, assembly line worker, and a tour in the U.S. Army during the Korean War until he found a niche in the world of entertainment. A gifted songwriter, Barry penned um, or co-wrote hits for Jackie Wilson, including Pete Petit, Lonely Cheerdrops, and To Be Loved. Despite this success, Barry was not content to write songs. He burned with the entrepreneurial spirit, as is only natural for uh, one of Barry Sr. and Bertha's children. With an $800 loan in hand from the Gordy family's Bear Barry co-op, Barry set out in 1959 to apply some of the principles he had learned in the auto plant uh, to the production of records 
and the creation of music groups and solo artists. He envisioned a process by which a kid could walk in one door and unknown off the street and come out the other a polished performer. Yeah. And I think that's exactly what Motown turned out to be. Um, That the stories of all these different artists coming to Detroit, trying to make it um, Mm -hmm. with like so much training, like talk about getting your 10,000 hours. Someone in the documentary had mentioned just because of the development of Motown, this is a little bit later after it had become popular, but especially after the development of Motown and hearing these hits and seeing that people that were regular, you know, everyday people turned into superstars after recording there, um, the casual singers that would sing on corners or wherever they had raised the bar so high. They were like, if you can't hop in on a song with a harmony that's in key, you're not singing in Detroit. Like Mm -hmm. the standard has been set. There's not, we're not playing, Um, which is incredible. It it invigorates a whole group of people that otherwise, you know, you could work, work at a car manufacturer, of course, but with this other option in the city for these people who otherwise wouldn't have this access to this industry, what an amazing thing. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's really cool. It's, it was a really cool retrospective. I guess I hadn't really thought about the impact for the everyday people because I think of it as someone who's looking back in the past and I'm like, well, this came and this existed, but I guess I hadn't thought about what it was like when it was new, mm-hmm. how important that it was. Well, yeah. And there, I mean, there's a lot of excitement behind it, um, especially when, you know, you start to see more people um, that look like you in terms of the minority space and, you know, Black Americans and, and breaking into um, like top of billboard charts and stuff like um, and having that recognition and, and being that really, really impactful record label like and my favorite part, and not even favorite part, like just my favorite aspect about the, um, the let's just call it a film, I guess, um, about the presentation is just getting to hear all of the songs that I love and that just like took me back to like my childhood and just like, you know, singing along and then getting to learn a bit more about the history of um or the making of those and like the art it just it was so much fun um and i think maybe we need to give uh some examples of some of the artists that motown records um signed um so we actually the first one sorry so the first artist that was signed onto or first group that was signed um onto the label was the matadors Uh, but then they changed their name to the miracles. Um, And what I like about this too, is like, we're only talking about the span of about 10 years that he was really signing Mm -hmm. artists onto the label. So this isn't, um, and they made some incredible hits anyway. um, Brenda Holloway, the contours, the Elgins, of course, the Jackson five, Gladys Knight and the Pips, the Isley brothers, junior walker and all stars like the the list really does go on stevie wonder the um the supremes hello the supremes yeah. yes like uh marvin gay like right come on you know just really iconic uh artistry that was on this record label just it's beautiful yeah and it, the when the documentary starts they do take you through a timeline and one of the constants throughout the 
the whole presentation is that Smokey Robinson is there side by side with Barry Gordy and Smokey Robinson mm-hmm. was a part of the miracles. And that kind of started the label, right? Like he started, mm-hmm. um, writing hit after hit after hit singing song after song and getting on the radio he also had crossover appeal which is super important for these artists and so yeah Smokey Robinson being a part of the beginning of the record label certainly does set a high bar for the rest of the people coming in um especially when it comes to songwriting ability Mm -hmm. which I also I don't know how I've known about Motown for as long as I have and not known that Barry Gordy was a songwriter himself. I that did, was not something I, that I was news to me. I mean, to be honest, like I'm so familiar with Motown, Motown and what that means, like um, in terms of like music or like I can hear the kind of music come to mind like immediately um, that would have been, you know, on Motown. But uh, I didn't know about Barry Gordy, which, mm. you know, it's unfortunate because he's the founder, but, you know, so I just, I wasn't familiar with, um, you know, those, those details of, of Motown. Yeah. I, I'm aware of Barry Gordy, but obviously this was a Motown documentary. It's there to highlight right. these successes. Um, but what I've heard about Barry Gordy, um, and this, I think most of the conversation about Barry Gordy comes out when talking about the musical dream girls, which is, based Mm -hmm. around Motown and the Supremes Mm -hmm. and all that. Um, And it's kind of about his shady business dealings. That's what I've known about him. And Mm -hmm. I came to understand that Motown was a part of organized crime. And I think that's formed my opinion on the music industry. Because I'm like, well, the music industry is just organized crime. Like, that's just what it is, you know, (laughs) not to take away from all the artistic prowess and the business acumen and all that stuff. But that's what I had heard um, just growing up that, you know, Mm. he was essentially a PIMP for these artists and um, had shady business dealings. And we hear about similar things all the time. So it wouldn't really it, it doesn't really shock me if that was true. It just wasn't covered in this documentary. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, um, something that was, I would say was more emphasized is about how, um, I guess with success or people who are so successful, they have like this vision or this idea and they're like really determined to make that vision and idea come to life. And, you know, Barry Gordy was able to do that with Motown. They say mm-hmm. that, you know, he was really true to his vision. Um, he invested a considerable amount of time and thought into really polishing the Motown performers. Um, so they had this artist development department that taught them how to sit, how to stand and how to speak with elegance and act with refinement, no matter the setting. Um, there, it sounds like there was some backlash on that. It's like, um, who are we trying to be? Like, do you want us to be ourselves? And, um, you know, just sell our music to um, to people who are us, like, you know, keeping it in the Black community. And um, they were really, uh, Bears more so like, we want everyone to be able to enjoy the music. And it's not about, you know, a, uh, the color of our skin kind of thing. It's more like everyone is welcome. If you've got the talent and if you have the uh, sound that they were looking for and were able to, you know, really emulate um, the personas, um, and their performances that they wanted. And mm-hmm. they were able to do that, you know, um, clearly it's very rigorous to be part of yeah. this, but, <laughs> um, it, it pays off. It looks like, you know, 
Yeah, there's so many things that Motown, so many, so many things that Motown has um, set as a standard for artists and artist development in that sense. You can see that obviously with the Supremes, you know, they have very sweet, sweet voices and they Mm -hmm. even stand leaning the same way on accident. You know, it's like these things do matter. And a lot of the conversations that happen online right now about new artists is like, where's the artist development? Like, Ice Spice, for instance, you know, she um, got really, really popular um, off of one song. And then suddenly within a year, she performs on SNL, which used to be kind of a pinnacle of you've made it or at least you're Mm -hmm. about to make it and people are going to buy your record. Um, And there was controversy about how she presented herself on stage. You know, she kind of stands in one spot and gives no energy. Yes, girl, give us nothing. And people's immediate response is like, what happened to artist training? What Mm. happened to, you know, like uh, charisma? What happened to stage presence? And Mm. that could be a sign of, you know, the emphasis on streaming. But up until recently, artist development was the whole thing. You know, Mm. like every artist's persona plays a character in a larger scope of like this music landscape, you know, um, that even builds room for little rivalries within the music industry, which is beneficial Mm -hmm. for both artists as a part of it. Um, The different fandoms that are created based on the personas that are cultivated through artist development, like these things, these standards came from Motown, especially for Black artists. So it's, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I immediately thought of Destiny's Child, like how yeah. Destiny's Child was Motown through and through, mm-hmm. you know, just Kinda in like a different the modern time. Day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I had this thought too, because I feel like um, the, like, do we truly have the array of performers um, and talent now as they did then so and i'm I'm not just talking about like people who are making music but people who are truly like performing their music and having that um that visual aspect and the charisma or like the character and the um the moves or the stage presence that we you know used to see and granted i'm not like a big concert goer or anything like i'm i'm not big on that i do you know really enjoy music um but Um, and maybe like music videos aren't as popular as they used to be either. So maybe there's just like a change in the time. Um, but even still like the iconic music of Motown, I don't know if we have the same degree of iconic music that like, so for like, I'm thinking of Motown music that, you know, my parents listened to, I listened and still listen to, my sister, when she came to visit over the holidays, I like turned on jazz or I turned on like, um, my Al Green, um, like station. And, you know, she's just like, I love how old you are, (laughs) but like not old, you know? And, um, it's, guess it's kind of like that old soul. Like I just, I love all, all types of music, but I really do, you know, venture back to the oldies or to like jazz and stuff. And so, um, you know, I listen to that with my son in the house and, you know, I'll sing along and we'll, you know, dance and stuff. And, um, I don't, I'm not confident that we have that same effect, uh, of music now to where like, <laughs> I can listen to now music with gray and he's like, Oh yeah, my mom listened to this, you know, 
grown up and this is like classic, you know, or like, mm-hmm, <laughs> like mm-hmm. I don't think we're having that. Uh, besides, you know, a, a few, like we've got, uh, like Beyonce, of course, is a household name, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but are those hits the same where it's, you know, safe for kids to listen to or, you know, appropriate, I should say? I don't know. I, I mean, that's really interesting. And even thinking about it, there are things that um, have stood the test of time and probably will mm-hmm. back to Destiny's Child. Um, yeah. Independent women will go up. Survivor will go up. Bootylicious will always be playing, you know, things like yeah. that. Um, but then if you think about Motown, there were so many artists and there were so many songs that even if you don't know the name of the song or the words mm-hmm. to the song, you recognize the sound and you'll bop your head to it. Immediately. Um, yeah. I, I think, and maybe this is this is bias speaking, but I think if someone randomly wants to to put on an oldie and they turn on Neo, I'm a, I'm going to ask you to turn that off. You know, like that doesn't really belong. Throwback. And you're like, no, it, not that one. Not that one. And it doesn't like a lot of music to me would be like that. I'm like, we don't really need to be in the in that era. Um, yeah. I don't, it doesn't sound nice. It doesn't sound yeah. like something I want to hear. 2008 was hell. Um, that's when Lady Gaga came out and everybody had to do EDM. Like, we don't really need to hear that again. Yeah. But Motown, like, um, this one, I, there were just so many, but it was like, um, sugar pie, honey bunch. Hey. You know what I mean? Like, and you, you know that I love you. Yes. yes I love it. Yes. Um, I, I, like, I wish I could list off, like, a lot of the songs, um, but I wasn't like, you know, typing them down the whole time. These are just like, I want to live in that mm-hmm. space and have a that kind of party, like a Motown party. <laughs> right. Well, and yeah. this just goes back to Barry's original vision and inspiration, which also I did not know about. But he was inspired by the automotive assembly lines um, for the model for how they were going to make their songs. And he was going for hits. He wasn't going mm-hmm. for artistry and like expressing oneself. It was like, I want everyone in America to love this song and relate to this song. And we're going to do it. So in this room, we have our producers. This room, we have our writers. We're going to take this song through everybody's office. And then we're mm-hmm. going to pop it down to record it, to get that Motown sound, which is the echo yep. of a bathroom. Um, and then <laughs> take it to quality control and we vote for a, a group of artists records. And we say, we're taking this one to radio. We're taking this one to radio. We're going to take that and work on it. And mm-hmm. it worked. I mm-hmm. do also want to say, I think that another element that stopped music from lasting the way that, that Motown music has lasted is the diversity in music and ways to listen to music that exists mm-hmm. and have are consistently growing. Cause right now we don't have, a monoculture when it comes to music. Whereas even in the early 2000s, we did because we had TRL telling us these are the top, you know, whatever videos and songs of, you know, right now. And we also had uh, radio stations that you could turn into or tune into um, regionally or nationally to hear what the top 40 songs are now it's streaming. Now it is online. It's so individual. So we have, kind of a diaspora of mm-hmm. interests. Like no one's top 10 artists are going to look the same. Whereas back in 1960s, yeah. um, they probably were. They were probably, yeah. you know, you like the same 10, 10 artists because that's who's playing on the radio. Yeah, yeah. 
And are people listening to the radio in the same way, you know, as they <laughs> used to? Like, probably not. Again, it's the whole streaming, um, the yeah. streaming bit. Like, I think the song that immediate claim came to, immediately came to mind, this is probably 2014, 2015, I think. Um, because I'm happy along. No, you know, like, oh my gosh, yeah. Yeah. So like that was a that's a really good one, right? Like that was everywhere. Yeah. Like I remember hearing it on the radio because I was listening to the radio at the time. And um, it was constantly on, but like, and you would play it like in the office and like people, you know, and even right now, like I cannot think of a song that has spread like that. And it, now it's like, is it on TikTok or mm-hmm. is it like on Instagram or on like, you know, reels or whatever, like that's um, those little like clips of, of songs going viral in that way. Um but even still, like many of them aren't appropriate to like bring into a workplace <laughs> or something. Yeah. Um, Another thing about those songs that you just mentioned, and I, you said Happy by Pharrell, and I started thinking of Hey Ya by Outkast, just like these massive songs that have swept the nation. They have something in common with Motown in the way that they sound. Mm, they literally yeah. sound like they're using the same instruments from Motown mm. and the same rhythms yeah. and it's the same concept. There's obviously something to it. Um, and there was something mentioned in the documentary that I really loved. And it was that um, after Motown started becoming famous and, and charting artists, uh, people would come to Detroit and just try to recreate that sound with similar, you know, Detroit engineers and Detroit musicians. Um, and they would never call it... Um, it would, they would never call it like their sound, like the artist sound or Barry Gordy mm. sound. They call it the Motown sound. And it was interesting yeah. how separated the individual artists were from um, creating these massive hits. And I think obviously it's because they were black. They were like, we're not going to give them that much credit, you know. Um, yeah. But it, I think also like the the change in how we take in the music and take in these sounds um comes from maybe the the separation of the artists and the art and now music is so about oh yeah she got divorced two years ago so this song is about that and you know you know like we know like too much i guess is what yeah. i'm getting at yeah and so it changes like the way we experience yeah they're like inspired by their um life happenings and that translates to the music that we put out like is it you that said this or who said this? Maybe it was a, this um, podcast I listened to, but they talk about Adele and, um, you know, if she's going through something awful, like her divorce, and then that gets put into her music or um, like the production of music coming from a place of pain um, being yeah. like the greatest hits, you know, mm-hmm. um, or like another song we could just up and play in the office would be like, Stevie Wonder. Um, Always. My Sherry Amore. I can't sing. Anything that I adore. Um, okay. Yeah, I yes, love that. that you know, I haven't, been, <laughs> <laughs> I haven't been thinking about Stevie Wonder um, just in general. And it was nice to see him again. It also made me think like, we better start getting our Stevie tributes up. He's getting up there. You know what I mean? We better start mm-hmm. getting our our artists pay tribute to Stevie 
performances soon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Come on. And maybe Smokey. Smokey did just put out an album, though. Like, I want to say two years ago. I'm going to look it up because it's ridiculous. Uh, Smokey Robinson is... He's fun. Um, <laughs> let me see what this album is called. This man. He is a prostitution whore. Um, let's see. <laughs> Hold on. Smokey Robinson albums. What is this album called? Oh my God. It came out this year. You know, this man released an album called Gasms. Oh. Okay. Gasms. Uh oh. Um, one of the songs is called Roll Around. The other one is called You Fill Me Up. Um, let's see. I fit in there. I want to know oh your my body. Gosh. Uh-huh. Sir, how He's old like, are you? Baby, he said, just so you know, I got myself a blue chew and we're making a record. Oh my God. <laughs> <It's> like, okay. <laughs> okay, Smokey. <laughs> um, real quick, back to um, Barry Gordy's questionable business practices. There was a part in the in the film that um struck me on two sides. One, of course, it's a fun fact and it's an interesting thing, but um they kind of skirted over the problem is that uh, the union, like the recording artist union required that all parties on the record were present when the record was being recorded, but Motown had been doing, we're going to lay a track and then we'll have the vocalist come in and we'll swap out vocalists if it's not right for the song, but whatever. And they'd have union reps come and do an audit of their practices. And so this particular day they were laying a track and there was no singer there and they didn't want to get fined. They didn't want to get shut down. And so the secretary came in and was like, I'll sing. Cause she wanted to sing the whole time anyway. So it was her oh, chance. Yeah. And it was Martha Reeves of Martha and Vandalia's. Um, oh, wow. And that's how she got her start, um, which is amazing. Um, but that was so. Do you know the name of the song that it was? So, what was the song? Um, was it Dancing in the Street? I want to say, or was it Heat Wave? Oh. I forget. Heat Wave! Um, it was one of those two, though. It was. I think it was Heat Wave. Yeah, I think it was Heat that's Wave. Hard. But anyway, um, that's how her career got started. That's and, incredible, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's but, interesting. I think we talked a little bit about this with Cameron, um... We, uh, Cameron Forbes, we recorded with him in April of uh, 2023. Um, mm-hmm. I was going to plug this later, but you know, everyone go and, and check out that episode. It was really, really good. And it was, um, yeah. And, you know, just in terms of, um, I guess statistics on it too, it sounds like the listeners enjoyed it as well. Um, it's one of our top performing episodes, which is fantastic. And so, um, but I think Cameron had mentioned on this episode or maybe just in conversations that I've had with him um, that sometimes you're like not even in the same um, place or you never like overlap or you're not even recording in the same studio. And right. uh, so just thinking about that when you mentioned the the union and how, um, you know, they're like, okay, well, is everybody present, you know? recording at mm-hmm. the same time and now it's like well 
did we even record this in the same week? Like, are we in They've the never same met each time other, zone? Right. Like, have I, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's always interesting when I see an artist um, give an interview and usually it's like, yeah, I, I met them for the first time when we did the Grammys performance or met them at rehearsals for the music video or whatever it is. It's yeah. like, oh my goodness, this song was pulled off so well, um, but shout out to technology. And I wonder sure. why, the, the, why the rules changed, what that was about, or if they just got rid of a union. I don't really know what, what to, I don't know. to hmm. think. Um, Let's see, quality control. We kind of talked about that. Oh, another thing mm-hmm. about um, about Motown songs and their formula was that they put an emphasis on the first four to eight bars, which is mm-hmm. when they when they said it out loud, I was like, you yeah, know what? Yeah, because usually if you hear the beginning of a Motown song, you can kind of already start singing the song because it's so recognizable. <laughs> Not only yeah. has it been played to death, but like the you just memorize the opening bar and then the lyrics start and you just know what's up, um, yeah. which is iconic. It's that immediate, Ooh, that's my song kind right. of thing. Like, yeah. Sugar pie, honey bunch. Yes, <laughs> like immediately. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Part of what uh, Barry was really big on um, is, you know, having everyone be a, a bit like autonomous in terms of their expression and their creation. But then at the same time, going back to that sort of assembly line, um, everyone had input. And I thought that was really cool how you'd have technically like these artists are competing against each other in a sense. Um, Mm -hmm. But really they were having a collaborative effort to put out like the best and what would be the biggest hits. And so I liked how they mentioned, um, you know, certain tweaks that would be suggested by one artist to another and like they make you know similar um not music but either one of them could have been on the record right and then it you know it gets tweaked and then that's the that's the bit that makes it perfect um i I thought that was really cool um how they had that that autonomy set in place i also really appreciated the note about how they invested into the public education and music pro, uh, programs in detroit mm-hmm. and really getting um the the kids interested and um really engaged into like artistry thought that was fantastic yeah i they're dream builders you know mm-hmm. And a positive influence at that, um, just because so many kids are artists and don't have an opportunity to express that, don't have art programs within their schools to practice or learn about that part of themselves, you know, and just for them to to be able to offer that opportunity of a chance. And it doesn't even necessarily mean that they're going to become, um, you know, Diana Ross or Michael Jackson, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. they're going to be in the room. Look at Martha. Uh, Martha Reeves, she was working in the office and then yeah. got her break. And even if she didn't get to sing her song, she still got to work in an industry around the art that she cared about and loved. Mm-hmm. So, you know, maybe maybe a consolation prize isn't necessarily what people are looking for, but it's sure. still there and it's in Detroit and not much was happening in Detroit um, besides automotive development, you know, industry development. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a great thing. Yeah. Um, another great thing that they highlighted um, was that the they had so much diversity in the leadership 
team and all the decision making. They had all different races. They had women in power, which was mm-hmm. was not happening at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, these are people of all different backgrounds um, that really just get what Motown is and what the world wanted. And um, I know that that's become a model now. I, I've seen plenty of a video of artists like playing their album for the record label and them nodding along or you know, making suggestions or whatever, what have you. But for that to be happening back at Motown with the importance of having these black artists make it big, um, having that diversity of taste in the room during quality control was so important. And I, and Barry Gordy saw that early on and I appreciate mm-hmm. that because now, I mean, now it's it should be diverse, but there's also this kind of idea. It's just going to be a bunch of old white men that are like, I like this. I don't like this. You know, yeah. and it's like, what does yeah. it? I'm not an old white man. I had to listen to this on the radio. You know what I mean? Because you liked it. Yeah. You know, it, <sighs> they, uh, what I appreciated is that they had women like in key positions. Like you had mentioned, you know, it wasn't really um, something that was well um as well accepted as it is Mm -hmm. now and so it was gordy's sister esther who um she was like she started this co-op um to provide like money to family members in need and so when gordy had originally approached her for an 800 loan she was reluctant to give it to him and um because she was reluctant to give him this money he was like, okay, I want her to run the business side of the company because she's like, you know, approaching it in a level-headed, like, I'm not really sure about you and what you're going to do. Obviously that $800 loan paid off. Um, but, uh, so, um, um, Esther worked, you know, really diligently with Motown over, you know, over the time that she was, um, that she was with them and just really being this integral part of the company on the executive operations side. Um, so mm-hmm. she was like, um, the executive secretary, the CEO, vice president, like she's really like the heartbeat, um, and help, you know, decision maker of, um, what we know as, as Motown. And so, um, I thought that that was a pretty good, I don't know, indication of part of their values of like, Hey, it's not about, you know, you meeting a criteria of, um, like your race or your gender or anything like that. It's like, can you get the job done? Uh, which again, we saw in the artists that came on board. Um, And then lastly, uh, this also is like a reinforcement of how they were like a family environment. It sounds like there was a bit of this person's dating that person. I dated them for a while, but they da 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 da, you know, Uh, which is maybe (laughs) crossing nowadays lines in terms of HR. But um, I mean... (laughs) Some of the love songs, I might need them to do a little fraternizing to make it pop. So I'm glad that they were doing that. I hope everybody was having a good time. I don't know um, those stories, but I'm sure they're well documented. Um, Yeah. And probably something that doesn't pair so well with such a a bright depiction of the company. (laughs) Um, So there are probably some Easter eggs in their songs, I would imagine. Oh, yeah. You know, I would hope. Like small digs that fell into some song that we don't know, or I don't know, or if that maybe wouldn't have made it through uh, quality control. Maybe not. You know, there's so I don't know, but it is Mm -hmm. interesting to to think about. Mm -hmm. Um, 
I also liked, you kind of mentioned this before, that um, there was some competition within the label. I also liked, and was kind of thrown off by this, but um, they used to go on tour as a label. And it seemed like the set list and the order in which they went on stage changed nightly. Did you get that impression? Yeah, it was like they were competing for the last spot. um, Yeah. Based on how they were performing on the charts and then also how they were performing in the previous show. It was like very earn your spot, uh, very competitive, which is interesting, even for bands that have been made. Yeah. And I feel like that would not fly now because people, um, at least from like conversations with people who go to concerts often, they're like, okay, so-and-so's opening. I know the main, you know, act is coming on later. And so they'll like go to a concert later. And could you imagine being back in the day? Like, wait a minute. Like, I thought so-and-so was going to be, you know, performing like last and they were first and I missed it or something. Um, but I do kind of appreciate the, um, that sort of competitive spirit because, um, it does, I I mean, competition can be good, right? It, um, can drive people. And in this instance, I think you saw it or, you know, people saw it play out on the billboard um, charts and, um, Mm -hmm. for it to change like night to night, if they're on tour or something like that's pretty impactful. Yeah. And intense. And kind of to that point um you know you've heard about the sophomore slump when it comes to um Mm. big stars like their first album will perform super well and then eh, the next the follow-up is gone and a lot of that is attributed to their drive like a lot of those first albums are about proving themselves and trying to make it and so to have established artists that are touring people are already showing up because their name is on the poster still trying to earn a spot nobody is coasting on their name no one's coasting on you know whatever their recognizability their celebrity whatever Mm -hmm. they are earning their spots i think that kept the energy high and it kept the art um focused and it kept the it it, it kept the momentum going which is and kept things fresh too you know yeah to be in a space of like continuing to innovate and um, think about new ways or to like either vocalize or, um, display or perform, uh, like all of that combined, like that's what people enjoy. They like, you know, the newness, but then also the familiarity of that sound of Motown. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, towards the end of the documentary, we got into the expansion of Motown, which has always kind of made me chuckle. And this was, uh, this was also in dream girls where the company is expanding into television. And there was like Jackson five, um, cartoons and stuff like that, you know? Um, but the thing that, that I interacted with, and I don't know if you have any memories of Motown produced media, but Lady Sings the Blues, starring Diana Ross, which earned her an Oscar nomination, um, was a Barry Gordy production. Um, And it was from that expansion of Motown. And Lady Sings the Blues is when Diana Ross plays Billie Holiday. And the movie... I remember it from my childhood, mostly because I was so confused about what heroin is. Um, because <laughs> she, like, it was during a time when a lot of black exploitation movies were talking about just drugs, all caps, mm. general 
it's dope, it's bad, whatever. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. She there's some times when she would like do um heroin in the movie and then get jittery. And I was like, is that what heroin does? It was so oh, interesting. Wow. And then yeah, also you could feel by that point, it was the 70s. So by that point, the Supremes are already, you know the Supremes all caps and it was Diana Ross and she was a superstar. Um, but it's Billie Holiday's life and Billie Holiday's like fame happened in the early fifties. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, Diana Ross throughout the entire movie, which goes back to Billie's childhood is wearing 1970s, Bob Mackie outfits, Bob Mackie who dressed Cher. Bob Mackie, who, who did like stage costumes. She is totally out of time. It is such a vanity thing. Her hair is even done as like Diana Ross. If you haven't seen Lady Sings the Blues, everyone go watch it. There is such a dissonance between the story that we're being told and then the, tori- the story that we're being showed. Because yeah. Diana Ross was like, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I'm going to act or whatever, but I'm wearing this dress. It was so, yeah. it was so, like a so big Motown. Disconnect. Yeah. Yeah. So Motown. But it, it was great, obviously. I wish we could play one of the songs, but we don't have the rights to any of them. And I'm pretty sure that's uh, frowned upon. Um, Mm. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But that's okay. I think everyone knows the songs, you know, like if you don't know the songs, you watch this documentary, you will hear it playing. The whole soundtrack is playing Motown from top to bottom. And it is, and I think that also energizes you throughout the different stories that are being told because you're hearing these songs that take you back to a time. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's that's not done. Like, I don't think Columbia Records doesn't have a sound. You know what I'm saying? Right, like, Arista right. Records doesn't have a sound. RCA right. doesn't even necessarily have a sound. But Motown was a movement. Motown has changed what we expect from artists now and it's 2024. Right. All right, Donna. It's time for Now Now You Know. know. I have a real one, and then I have a half one. (laughs) Okay. So, so for this month's Now You Know, I want to talk about an artist that I think everyone should be listening to and might already know about. Uh, But before we get into her, I just have a quick aside so it's like a now you heard i don't i don't want (laughs) to ask you to go and like listen to this artist or anything but it was just interesting to me um so yesterday i had a memory unlocked of music that i used to listen to with my family my grandma used to listen i used to listen with my aunt Uh, my aunt joyce was a big music person she was the one who showed me dolly parton um and Mm -hmm. so she just listened constantly and I was listening to some songs that we used to listen to and then kind of went down a rabbit hole and found this artist which I guess I would say he's kind of like Plies the rapper kind of like Chris Brown kind of like uh name name controversial sexual Mm. bad boy but put him in 1950s music in in shouting yeah. blues. So his name is Wynoni Harris, and Wynoni Harris has a gorgeous voice. But the things that he talks about, like he is a, he's a dirty blues artist. Um, like he has songs called uh, "Lollipop Mama," "I Like My Baby's Pudding," "Sitting on It All the Time." Keep on churning till the butter comes. 
like oh. he is all these nasty and then, things that are no longer wholesome. <laughs> nothing nothing about him is wholesome and then like the obviously it's it's uh context of like the time and just sure. what was going on with um gender relations and things like that but bro hates women he hates women there's a song mm. called bloodshot eyes which his voice sounds amazing but he says don't roll those bloodshot eyes at me talking about his his lady friend who comes home drunk from a night out he accuses mm. her of cheating and all these things and it's not like the content sucks the way he sings it uh, amazing highly recommend just listening to the voice if you have the time um but yeah dirty blues is important it it was it, maybe we'll get into this later on in the show in a different time yeah. but yeah Wynoni Harris all right that was uh, an aside and it went on way too long um feel free to chop that up <laughs> now my real now you know is an artist who we actually met back in 2005 as a collective this is in 2005 we still had a monoculture like we still had our TRL we still had our BET MTV whatever and we met her on making the band. Um, her name is Dawn Richard. She's from New Orleans. She was a part of Danity Kane. Mm -hmm. And her in general, her artistry has developed so much. So of course she auditioned to be part of this pop group. And that was what it was. It was your standard five girls singing pop, being sexy, you know, whatever. And then after that dissolved, she went on to be a part of DIDDY Dirty Money. <laughs> <laughs> rolling eyes and then that kind of went away within a couple years and then she went on this solo journey of being an independent artist and that's where her artistry really started to shine and that was around 2012 um she had um golden heart and armor on two eps that kind of introduced her r&b fusion with electronica sound mm. and that really really hit i think it even hit like on myspace to be honest and so it just kind of started <laughs> blowing up and she started cultivating a little fan um a fan base that loved the fusion of these genres and her voice is so velvety smooth and just mm. to have that with all this you know, futuristic technology sound on top of a classic R&B voice. Oh my goodness. It's just stunning. So she's kind of gone in that direction. Um, she was the first artist to do a full VR um, concert on YouTube. She animated and um, helped curate things for Adult Swim. So she's like an artist artist. But I bring her up because one, she's not getting the love that she deserves. Mm -hmm. And two, she is bringing forth so much when it comes to um the the different genres that black people can play in so her latest albums are my favorite so there is there are two albums one is called new breed new breed kind of brings forth that that new orleans sound literally she's in her like um She's in her New Orleans bag with interviews with her family, talking about how their family ended up there. And we met her in 2005. Hello, she came from Katrina. So there's a lot of, mm -hmm. a lot of heart, a lot of reverence for New Orleans and her. And that album is your alternative R&B kind of could be radio friendly, but no need because she's yeah. an artist and so she makes records then the follow-up to that is called second line second line is it, it is alternatively 
alternatively titled Second Line in Electro Revival. So you get the point. It is a mm-hmm. dance record. It's amazing. If you like dance music, I have it on vinyl and it just plays perfectly side mm-hmm. A, side B. And she's just incredible. I think I've talked about her for 30 minutes now, so I'm going to wrap it up. But anyway, I do encourage you guys to go listen, buy, whatever. Like Dawn Richard is incredible. She's just, she's an Afrofuturist artist and she brings forth so many different pieces of culture from all these different places that all of us get you know get exposure to but Mm -hmm. don't necessarily get licensed to be a part of and i love that she gets to do all these different things through her art she's incredible and i just want people to listen to her and support her because she's an independent artist and Mm -hmm. everything that we see is from her and you know, we are feeding directly into her art by supporting her. So anyway, support Don Richard, get Second Line or New Breed. You'll like them both. Now you know. Now you know. 